0: Good morning, everybody. It's a joy to be back with you again, and I must say it is an honor to be uh, the last person to provide pulpit supply uh, before Daniel is installed. And so uh, thank you for this honor. Uh, this morning I'll be preaching out of First Timothy chapter 2, so for those of you that bring your Bibles to church, uh, yeah. You have a moment to turn there. For those of you that pull it up on your phone or an app, it gives you a moment. But um, this morning's passage comes out of a letter that Paul has written to Timothy. As Timothy uh, is pastoring a church in Ephesus, Paul is encouraging him uh, with pastoral instruction. And so now this is the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through six. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. And there is one mediator. Between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is the testimony given. At the proper time. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father we come before you this morning. God we are thankful We're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word that you communicate to your people today, that you are not just uh, an experience of emotion, that you are not just a moral philosophy, but you are the living God and you speak wisdom and power and truth. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you would pour out your spirit in this place Lord, use a broken vessel like myself to communicate your kingdom, not my words, but the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us focus our hearts and our minds on him this morning, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Now, in 1982, uh, there was an author by the name of Anne Herbert who coined a certain phrase, and she said, practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. This is taking a a common phrase of random acts of violence and senseless acts of cruelty and twists it to put a positive spin on it. And in fact, this phrase caught on in such a way that it led to a children's book by the same name, random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. And in this, this book, this phrase encouraged its readers, encouraged all people uh, to, en- uh, to engage in spontaneous acts of kindness, not asking for any kind of glory or recognition back, not asking for anything to be paid back, but just kindness for the sake of kindness. And while this wasn't the start of kindness itself, it did start some, uh, some movements throughout culture. Uh, in coffee shops, there is a, a, a phrase uh, referred to as sospeso, which literally, translate, laid it, literally translated as suspended, that someone would come in and pay for a coffee and say, this isn't for me, but if someone comes in and needs a coffee, I'm paying for it now, so someone else can take advantage of it. Some of you might have seen uh, or heard of the... Uh, people going through a fast food line and saying, hey, well, I'm gonna pay for that meal for the person behind me. And then they come up and, oh, your meal's been paid for. Here, this is, this is free of charge for you. And it started this whole pay it forward chain. In fact, a few years ago, there was a, a hashtag on social media called hashtag feed the deed. And it was encouraging people to go out and do a good deed And to tag others and say, all right, now I'm challenging you to go out and continue doing good deeds. And the whole point of this movement is that kindness is not something that is earned, but it's encouraged to just give kindness away freely without consideration of who might be receiving that kindness, regardless of color or background, political affiliation social status, not caring if that person deserves kindness, but simply to give kindness away freely. Now, this passage is encouraging a similar motivation to do something for others regardless of status, but it urges believers to do more than just share kindness, but it it encourages the believer to pray. Specifically, to pray for others toward salvation. And this instruction is not just limited to priests. It's not just limited to pastors or elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers or anyone in church leadership. It applies to all believers. In fact, I would suggest that this passage we've read this morning is instructing every believer to pray for other people. Every believer to pray for other people. And we see this unpacked in the following ways. First, that the believer is to pray with every type of prayer. Second, that the believer is to pray for every type of person. And lastly, to be reminded that our power, our our prayers come from the power of one and only payment. Now, again, as, as we're looking at this passage in 1 Timothy, This is a letter from Paul to Timothy as Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus. And the letter is full of encouragement, instruction, discipline, because Paul is not just Timothy's mentor. He's a spiritual father. He is his friend and brother. This letter opens with a warning against false teachers, warning Timothy against uh, uh, myths, and endless genealogies of people trying to, to uh, prove their, their religious worth. People who would argue for the salvation for those who keep the law. And Paul is reminding Timothy, no, no, no. Jesus came to save sinners. And in light of, that, of the saving work of Christ, Paul urges Timothy to pray with every type of prayer. Back in verse 1, it it starts First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Pray for all people. Pray for uh, their provision that God would supply for them, their supplication that God would supply for their very needs. Pray for their well being, pray for their salvation. Intercede on behalf of them. Go before the Lord and say, I want that person to know you. And pray with thankfulness. Thank the Lord for who he is and what he has done. Now, yes, this letter is specific to Timothy. But all believers can and should pray this way. Go before the Lord and don't just pray for your own needs. God, I need this. Or, uh, Lord, I, I'm, I'm in an emergency. I need to, to just fire up a, a flare. I need your help. But pray for the people that the Lord has brought into your life. Pray for their well being. Pray that God would supply for their needs. Pray that they would know who this God is and what He has done. Pray that the Lord would save them from the destruction of their sin. It's so easy to focus on, we need the Lord to supply for our needs. Paul is saying, pray for others. This doesn't put you in any sort of elevated position over others. This doesn't say, well, I, I'm, such a good, I'm such a great Christian because I, I prayed for you today. You're not gloating in your holiness but it's a reminder of what God himself does for you. In John 17, as Jesus is delivering or praying the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying for those whom the Father has given to him. He's praying for their protection and his sanctification. He's praying that the the believers, that the Lord, that the Father has given to him would protect them. Sanctify them, make them holy. The son of God himself is praying that the father would watch over his people. In Romans chapter eight, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what, the, what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And again in Romans 8, this time verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Take a moment and think about that. God, the son, is praying for you. God, the spirit, is interceding on your behalf. They're praying for your good. They're praying for your protection. They're praying for your sanctification that you would be made more and more like Jesus. So, if Jesus Himself, if the Son of God Himself can pray on your behalf, how much more should you be praying for others? It's a part of our Christian living, it's how we live with one another. As, as Paul reminds the, uh, the church in Galatians 6 two, bear one another's burdens. Our praying for one another is a way for us to share our, our burdens together. In Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And in Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're not just suggested to pray for one another. We're commanded to. Pray for all the saints, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, intercede on one another's behalf. Scripture is full of reminders for believers to pray with and for one another. So I encourage you, I challenge you, go before the Father and thank him for the people that he has brought into your life and then pray for their good. Pray for their growth. Not just for their physical needs, not, oh, pray that, that Susie can pay her bills this month. Or, oh, I hope, that, I hope Jimmy gets into that college that he wants to go to. But pray for their soul. Pray for their body and heart and their mind. And let your prayers be, be well-rounded, almost like a Swiss army knife of prayer. That in any need that may arise, that you are praying on their behalf. But your prayers are not just limited to a certain type of person, because as you ty- as you pray with all types of prayers, Paul is also reminding to pray for every type of person. As Paul said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we, the people, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul isn't just limiting Timothy to praying for his church. Pray for those that are under my care. He doesn't say, he doesn't say Timothy, pray, pray for all of the Christians you know. Pray for Christians all around the world. He doesn't just say, pray Pray for the good people. Pray for those that are doing good unto others. He says, pray for all people. It's easy to pray for the people that you like. It's easy to pray for the people who are nice to you, who do good things for you. The, the people who say, hey, I'm praying for you. It's easy to pray for them back. But we're commanded to pray for all people. Just like the random acts of kindness, we're called to have prayers for anyone regardless of who they are. Don't limit your prayers to, to the people that you like or for the ones that it's easy to pray for. In fact, I encourage you to write out a list for the people that are in your life, the people that are easy to live with, and the people like, oh, Lord, If I see Susie today, I need your help. I need you to show up and give me some grace. Pray for those people too. In my own list, I have friends that are confidants that I can share the deepest, darkest parts of my heart with and know that they'll, they'll stand with me and pray with me. I have people on my list that have left the church that were once strong in the faith and something happened and they have turned their back. I have people on my list that have never declared the name of Christ and some who even outright oppose him. But I pray for them because I don't know what the Lord's doing. I don't know what his plan is or if he might use something in their life to draw them into the church, but I can pray for them. Paul says in Romans 9, 9.18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. It's not my job to know what God's will is for that person, but it is my job to pray for them. It's my job to share the love of Christ with them and then trust that the Lord is going to do his work. Also, don't limit your... Your prayers to the people that are just in your immediate circles, the people that are interacting in your everyday life. Paul says to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for our government, pray for our president, for our senators, for our governors, for our lawmakers. The people who are over us in governmental authority, and pray for both sides, not just the person that you voted for. Pray that the Lord would work a miracle in their lives, that the Lord would call them to repentance. Pray for people of every type of position. Throughout my life, I've seen so many celebrities and musicians and athletes that have been an encouragement to others because they use their platform to proclaim the name of Christ. Pray for them, for boldness and for courage. Pray for the people that have the platform to advance the kingdom, not their own glory, but the glory of Jesus Christ. So when you pray, do you pray for people around the world? Do you pray for people in in authority? Or are your prayers just limited to those right there in your immediate life? I know it's easier to pray for the people that you like, but remember, you have no idea how God is working in other people's hearts. Salvation is not just limited to a specific people group. Salvation is not just for those in the United States. It's not for, salvation. Is not just for the Presbyterians. Don't tell the Baptists I said that. Salvation is not just limited to the people that look and speak and think the way that we do. Salvation is not bound to country, our tax bracket, our political affiliation. As Paul reminds us in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Regardless of where you stand according to the world's view, because of what Christ has done and accomplished, we are united in him. And so pray for all people, regardless of their background, regardless of where they are in the world, for all people have sinned and all people are in need of the gospel. And so as you pray with every type of prayer for every type of person, Paul reminds us where our power truly comes from and it's the power of one and only payment. Look at verse three. This is good, praying for all people. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He said it is good and pleasing. God is pleased when you pray for other people. Now, that doesn't make God love you more, He already loves you, but it's pleasing. When you pray for other people, when you care for other people, have mercy and compassion for other people, when you pray for their well-being, God is not pleased with our bickering over who best interprets uh, the Hebrew translation of, of Isaiah. It's good to have proper theology. It's good to have a healthy translation, but that. That's not described as good and pleasing. What is good and pleasing is when you pray for others. Specifically, Paul says that they would know truth. And then he unpacks what that truth is in verses five and six. This is the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. One God, one mediator, and his name is Jesus. And this is what makes Christianity different from any other faith system. Unlike any philosophy unlike any form of moral modification of being a better person. This isn't some form of moral relativism that says, well, whatever is true for you, just you do you. This isn't one path among many, but it is one God, one mediator. And this one God who created all things by the power of his word and his creation rebels against him. So all are guilty of sin and deserve punishment. But there's one mediator, Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me it's not many roads to one God there is one path to God and that's Jesus and this mediator gave himself as a punishment for your sin this ransom scripture describes as the propitiation for your sin it's a fancy church word I, I encourage you to try to find some way to use it in conversation today The way it was was described to me when I was in seminary and the, the way that my head or my mind best remembers it is propitiation is like a propeller, prop. Propitiation, a propeller, what does it do? It churns. And as it churns, it's pushing the water away. And this propitiation, it is churning away the wrath of God. The blood of Christ churns away the wrath that you and I deserved. In Romans 3.25, Paul says that God put him forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. The blood of Christ churns God's wrath away. 1 John 2.2, he being Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This one mediator, Jesus Christ, gave himself, gave his very life to turn away the wrath that your sin deserves. This Jesus bearing your guilt and shame was a propitiation for your sin, turned away the wrath of the father and gave you his righteous status. So you who were once, as scripture describes an enemy of God, you are now declared a child of God. That wrath is turned away and you are seen and viewed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not because of your status, not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything that you could do one day, not because you're a nice person, not because you've done anything to deserve it, but simply because of the love of the Father. The Spirit has reconciled you. Jesus Christ himself sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. And so I have to ask, what is your prayer life like? Are your prayers limited to focus on your own life, your own heart, your own needs? Are you praying surface level prayers? Just God, just help me get to another day. Are you praying for the people that you feel deserve your prayers? Oh, well, I'm not going to pray for that guy. Have you forgotten the power of the one who saved you? Or will you offer multifaceted prayers before the Lord, a Swiss army knife of prayer, praying with all types of prayer for all types of people? praying for your friends and your enemies, praying for your family and for strangers, for your coworkers, for your classmates, for your neighbors, for celebrities and entire governments. Are you praying that the Lord would do a mighty work? Are you praying that they would know the soul-saving truth of Jesus Christ? And will you trust, not in your own power or your own ability, but the power of the one mediator, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as the Savior for all people? Christian, I have to ask you, who are you praying for? Let us pray now. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we confess that far too often we are self-centered with our hope and our prayer. We pray, we, we easily and quickly pray for our own needs. We pray for those in our immediate circles, which is good. But Lord, we pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Help us to pray for our, our, our non-believing neighbors and friends and coworkers and classmates, for the people that you have brought into our lives. Lord, help us to remember our brokenness, our need of a savior and to pray that they would know Jesus as well. And more than anything, help us to rest and trust and find our peace, not in our own ability, but in the power of Jesus Christ, the one mediator who turned away your wrath. Because of him, we are now your children. Help us to rest in him. And it's in his holy name we pray, amen.